You know, I really love this time together because we're here for like an hour, 10 minutes, hour, 30 minutes. And the cool thing about this time is that we're not very busy. Like, think about where you are right now. Like, I'm here. I'm a pacer. Sorry, camera guy. He probably has tennis elbow from the first service. The answer is no, I'm not going to stop walking back and forth. It's just what I do. But you're sitting here in the seat, and like, there's not a whole lot going on right now. You're just like focused in on this moment. And you're not very busy. And I love not being busy because you know what you can't do when you're very busy? You can't be in relationship. Part of being in a relationship with people is being present. And when you're busy, like, that doesn't happen. And so I love this time together where we're just together, we're not busy, we're in relationship. What I've known is that when I'm busy, I usually feel alone and I'm never satisfied. And so that makes me think of a time in my life back in, like, June 2016, so not too far off. God likes to communicate with me when I'm doing like really simple things. And at this moment, I was just push mowing my backyard. And at the time, uh, on my resume, I had a couple uh, businesses under my belt that were going well. <clears throat> and, uh, I f- you know, when you do a business, like you have like goals, and you're like, if I hit this goal, then that means I've made progress. And progress is supposed to be satisfying. But every time I would achieve a goal, I'd be like, was this it? This didn't necessarily feel satisfying. Actually, I'm not cherishing this benchmark at all. I'm just looking forward to the next one because maybe that will bring me some satisfaction. And so after several years of having my own ambitions uh, and never being satisfied, I started to ask the right questions. I started to come to certain conclusions. I thought to myself, you know, maybe I need to redefine what I understand as successful, being successful. And uh, I was reading through the book of Acts, which I had done several times before. And I just started noticing things I didn't notice before. And I started to notice that my life as a Christian, did not look like what I was reading. And so I started to think, if I just change the way that I behave to look like this, then things will start to change. But that's what the world will tell you. The world will tell you that success is in behavior modification. If you can just change the way you act, then that will change the way that people perceive you And that will change your identity. Because the world wants you to get your identity from other people's perceptions of you. But that's not how it works. It's actually backwards in the kingdom. In the kingdom, you come into this realization of what your identity is. And once you realize your identity, your thoughts and the way that you make decisions start to match that. Your mindset starts to change. And then, the way that you behave 
reflects your realized identity. So it's actually backwards. The world's been giving you a non-working version this whole time. And so to portray this, uh, there is a story that I always go to in uh, 1 Samuel. And it's about uh, David, just a snippet of his life. And at this point, he had already been approached by a priest named Samuel who had anointed him to be the new king of Israel. He was going to replace King Saul. But before he actually took the throne, there were several things that happened. So he had been anointed with a new identity from the Lord. And uh, we come upon this scene where he is facing Goliath. And he has victory over Goliath. Um, And then the people of Israel start singing his praises. And then Paul's like, hold on. I'm the superstar of Israel. And this little young guy is just someone I gave permission to fight in this battle anyway. People should be singing my praises. So he gets a little jealous. And so he puts a hit out on David. And so David is rejected by his king and his country. It's a pretty solid rejection. So he runs out of town and he goes uh, and he finds this, these other people, uh, these other outcasts who have also been, had their own version of rejection in some way. And David is such a leader that he actually makes a super powerful army out of these uh, outcasts. And so David and his army of outcasts, they go join up with the Philistine army, which is ironic because Goliath was a Philistine. And so now they're partnering with the enemy. And they go and they conquer all these different lands and territories. And so there comes a point where they're getting ready to face Israel. And the warlords who are over the Philistine army, they say, hold up. Isn't David this guy who has been fighting with us? Isn't he an Israelite? There is no way that he can go into battle with us because he's just going to stab us in the back. So they go to him and they tell him, hey man, not going to happen. You're on the bench. So a second time, David faces a major rejection from his own army that he's fighting with. So him and the rest of his little outcast army, they're going back to their camp. And they realize when they get there that this other people group had come in and and taken all the women and children. And so David's outcast army is mad at him now, and they're like spreading rumors that they're going to stone him. I don't know about you guys, but if I had experienced three major rejections, I'd probably slip in my vote for the stoning too. But that's not what happened. In 1 Samuel 36, we come to the climax of the story. And you're kind of on the edge of your seat, wondering what David's going to do now that he's been rejected three times and his situations and his circumstances show that things aren't looking very good for him. Matter of fact, in that moment, his situations and his circumstances are telling him that he is a failure. 
and that he makes terrible decisions. But here's what you see in 1 Samuel 36. It says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I read that and I wondered, huh, what does that mean? Because after it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, he gave his people a little pep talk. They went after the people group who took all the women and children. They mowed them down and then they brought the women and children back. I was like, I need that kind of resilience. I need to know how to encourage myself in the Lord. And so, just some things started to unfold. I spent some time with the Lord just pestering Him about what this can mean. And then what He revealed to me is that David always made his decisions a certain way. So think back all the way to where David was given a promise. Like the Lord Himself... God gave David a promise that he would be king. And so David made every decision based on that identity. He didn't make his decisions based on what his circumstances or situations were. David made his decisions based off his identity. But if you don't know your identity, it's hard to do that. Or if you have a false identity, you end up making terrible decisions. So, Just something uh, short but powerful for you guys this morning. Not because I don't have a lot of time, but because I didn't go to the bathroom before I came up here. (laughs) TMI, Josh. So I just want to answer a couple questions for you guys today. Who am I? How should I think? And how should I act? So to answer that first question, you are an image of the Father. We see this in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We see that God is creating as he does so beautifully. And he made Adam and Eve. And he said, let's make them in our image. Hmm. Let's make them in our image. So that Hebrew word for image actually means without material substance. So it couldn't mean like, Ten fingers, ten toes kind of image. The image that he meant was triune and relationally. God is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they are all in perfect relationship all the time. And so you were actually created the same way. Spirit, soul, and body. Which Brent did an awesome job explaining the roles and the attributes of all three of those. You're actually all three of those things in one. You're a trinity, just like the Father, made in His image. And all three of those were always meant to be in perfect agreement, perfect relationship with each other. I think Jesus gives us an insight into that when in the Gospels He's teaching and He's talking about the greatest commandment, which is something that we've heard a lot. Love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. So there are three relationships that he makes us responsible for in the greatest commandment. Our relationship to God, our relationship to others, and our relationship to ourselves. Because he says, love others as you do yourself. And so the trinity of us reflect a perfect cycle of relationships, just like it does with the Father. 
Our spirit represents our relationship with God. Our soul represents our relationship with ourselves because our soul uh, encompasses our feelings, our perceptions, our thoughts. And our body represents our relationship with other people. Our spirits were made, created to communicate with God. To commune with Him. Our soul was not created for torment. It was created for joy, for resilience. Our bodies were created to be present, not busy. Present for other people. So, that's how you were created. That's who you are. The other thing that you notice in the scripture is not only did he say, let's make mankind in our image, but it says, I want you to rule over the birds in the air and the fish of the sea and everything that creeps. He put this attribute in your identity to have authority over your environment. You can think about this in so many different ways. Some of you guys, uh, you communicate with God based on your feelings and you probably don't even know it. Have you ever just walked into a room, you're perfectly fine, cool, calm, and collected. You walk into any type of room, here, a waiting room at a doctor's office, the grocery store, wherever you may be, and then all of a sudden you get this shift in your feelings. You've got some fear. You've got some anxiety. All of a sudden you're angry. Nothing happened. All you did was walk into a different room. And maybe it doesn't have anything to do with you at all, but maybe it has something to do with the people who are around you, and you're just feeling God's communicating with you. Hey, I know the hearts of people. And here's how these people feel where you're at right now. And the gospel is not in my notes, so I don't have the reference, but you can always Google it. I think it's in Luke where Jesus has come back and he says to the disciples, he says, the Father has given me authority over all flesh. And what he's saying there in that original language, he says, God has given me authority over anything that human nature can produce. So think of all the things that human nature can produce. Destruction, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame. All of these things get wrapped up in us, in our thoughts. But Jesus is saying that I have been given authority over those things. He says, if you'll speak to this mountain, then it'll move. Part of your identity is to have authority over those things. I have a um, struggle with depression for many years and gained victory over that. I would say that when I pray with people, the number one thing that people who come up to me to pray for is depression. Because I know it's part of my identity that I have authority over that. 
we have to understand that we have authority over our environment. Here's a third thing about your identity. Third, but not limited to. (laughs) You were created to give life. And you see this in the Genesis account. It says, be fruitful and multiply. Give life. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I was a... I won't read anything unless it like benefits me. So like I don't I've actually never read like a novel or a fiction book or anything. Sorry, Chris. Um but I was reading it was probably like some Dale Carnegie book or something like that. And uh I don't remember this uh person's name, but I just remember them being real famous in today's time. But um the story that they were telling was based off before this person became famous and this person was uh, trying to be a, a motivational speaker, and he was on a plane with his wife. And uh, they were not in conversation. She was just reading a magazine. He was studying his notes. The story says she put her magazine down and looked over at her husband, and she said, you know, you're a really good speaker. And then she just picked up her magazine again and started reading And he said that he attributes his desire and drive and accomplishments as a public speaker to that singular moment. We were created to speak life, to give life in every situation. Have you ever noticed, like, even if you're justified in complaining about someone, how, like, unsatisfied you are after you're done complaining about them or your situation? It's because you weren't created to bring death or unlife to any situation. You were created to give life. So, that's who you are. Created in God's image. You have authority over your environment. You were created to give life. So, knowing your identity, like, how does that affect your decision-making process? Like, what is the streamline of thoughts that you have? Like, what's your springboard? What's your platform? What's your foundation? What's your starting point? Because often our starting point determines our destination. Your thought process should always be victory. There's a a great story in Numbers, uh, chapter 13, that demonstrates this concept. And it's the story of Joshua and Caleb. And uh, they go into the promised land. So this is a land that God had personally promised them to, to take over, to inhabit. And Joshua and Caleb and ten other guys go into the land. They come back to the Israelites and to Moses. And here's what they say. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. In the next verse, verse 31, the other ten guys who went with them. 
says, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. You've got two sides of the line. Joshua and Caleb, their thought process, their starting place was victory. Because God had, only, God had already promised them the land. They didn't even have to go spy it out. God had said, this land is yours. And they were, based, they were basing their decisions off of that promise. Their thought process was victory. The other people, they had already defeated themselves. Before they even went into battle, they were starting from a place of defeat. So, here's a real life example of our starting point determines our destination. So, Joshua and Caleb, they had a, a starting place of victory. And in Numbers 14, 24, it says, God speaking says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. So out of all of Israel, Joshua and Caleb were the only people who actually went in and achieved the land because they began with a mindset of victory. The other guys who started with a mindset of defeat, here's how they ended up. Numbers fourteen thirty six. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who had brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. And those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of... You just have to get Brent to come up here and pronounce that. Remained alive. So if your starting point is victory, your destination is victory. If your starting point is defeat, your destination is defeat. What do you say to yourself when you wake up in the morning? How do you look at your situations when you encounter them and they're not pleasant? When uh, we had our third son, Ellis, I remember bringing him home on the first uh, night that we were released. And um, I remember waking up and I heard like this faint cry. And um, Brooke was in the rocking chair in the corner of the room and I asked her what was wrong. And she said, "Um, I think my kidney stone is moving again. And so let me paint this picture for you. First night home from the hospital recovering from a c-section rocking a newborn who won't go to sleep with kidney stone movement I can't really think of like a worse scenario and when she said this all this started running through my head I started to get out of bed and all these scenarios started to run through my mind I was like okay I have to wake her parents up Brooke's parents live across the street from us 
It's like three in the morning. I got to wake them up. I got to get our two boys over there. Then I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the newborn while I get her to the hospital. And so like, you know, in like 0.45 milliseconds, all of this is like flashing through my mind of like possible scenarios of how this is all going to work out. So I take the covers off. I start to get out of bed. And before my feet touch the ground, it's like God just focused in on this one specific scenario. And he started to communicate with me and remind me of who I was. And so I started to ask the right questions. I said, why is my expectations of the enemy's opposition higher than my expectations of what the Father can do in this situation. And so I went over to her. I just had this attitude. You ever like this like attitude come over you? And you're just like, I'm not gonna put up with this. Because I just knew it was oppression, um, opposition from the enemy. And I bent down and I put my hand on her side where she said the pain was coming from and I just started to pray real honestly. And I was totally focused in on the presence of the Father at that moment and what He wanted to do in His favor towards me and my family. And I spoke to that situation in authority and from a place where I knew I'd already won. And it was like all simultaneously in an instant, like... You could hear heavy breath from Ellis. He had fallen asleep. And she started to move and she said, I think the pain is gone. So she gets up, puts the baby down, gets in the bed, goes to sleep. I got this mental picture as it happened. uh, Like as Jesus went out on the boat and he calmed the storm. And then everything was nice and easy after that like that's the mental picture I got after that moment because that's what it was it was just nice and calm and like there was this like this heavenly residue that was just kind of like left behind and you know that the father was totally and intimately involved in the situation so our mindset should always be victory I'm going to wrap up Uh, with this last thought so you know who you are what your mindset should be your actions should always demonstrate the Father's love John 5 19 says so Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise What do you see the ministry of Jesus doing? He was 100% of the time present, meeting the needs of others spiritually, emotionally, their soul, and physically. The blind were made to see, the lame were made to walk. It wasn't strange or uncouth or taboo to talk about, he just did it. How would it make you feel 
to know that you have the authority, the capability to do something that you didn't even know that you could do this whole time. I'm 32 years old. It wasn't until last year that I had actually prayed with someone with a physical affliction and it like be healed immediately. This community will change because of you. It is changing already because of you. And it's not complicated. Every decision that you make just has to be based on who God says that you are. You don't have to change your actions to try to change the way that you think, to try to change people's perceived identity of you. That's the hard part because other people put us in boxes. And we think, we have these things, once a fill in the blank, always a fill in the blank. And that is a prison, a self-perceived prison that you can stay in your whole life. And I will not be satisfied with such a tragedy.